from Infinite Guest, this is Top Score, a conversation with composers who write music for video games. I'm Emily Reese. Composer Marios Aristopoulos is a well-educated human being who ended up combining a soundtrack he wrote for a video game with his PhD project. The game is called Apotheon, and the art is inspired by ancient Greek pottery. Who better to write the music for the game than a composer who grew up in Greece? Tell me about the game Apotheon. Yes, uh, it's by this company, Alien Trap that they've also done uh, many 2D platform games. They, they did Capsized before, which uh, was a science fiction platform game, and I think it did really well. Um, so they uh, approached me when they were developing Apotheon. Um, the idea was it will be a platform game in an open world environment, uh, but the whole thing will be set in ancient Greece. And it's, as you can see, like visually it's inspired by ancient Greek pottery. Yes. All the images, they come like from this aesthetic. And I'm surprised nobody thought about doing this before because uh, whenever I would see this kind of art, I, I thought this would be a really cool idea to do in a video game. That's one of the things that instantly drew me as well in was the art. I absolutely love the art in this game. And would you be able to describe it in a little more detail? Well, it's, it's, I think it's quite... Um, a combination of uh, an RPG, because you have a character where you develop his skills, uh, but then it combines, actually it combines elements from many types of games. You have the, the open world environment, which is something that comes from MMORPGs, like World of Warcraft, where you can basically go wherever you want. You don't have to approach the game in a particular order. You could start from this area and then move to another area and the world is open and free and it's up to the player to decide where they're gonna go. The interesting thing is that all this is happening in 2D, uh, and that's not something you see very often anymore. I think platform games are disappearing. Possibly also the art form itself of, of ancient pottery, ancient vases, it's very two-dimensional. So in a way, the, it's ideal to make a 2D game out of this, because visually you already have the, the, the scene set out for you. So tell me about some of the instruments you used and uh, go ahead and explain them in some detail if you don't mind. You know, as a Greek composer, I've been asked to do ancient Greek music uh, several times. Mm. And there's always this question about, do I want to create an authentic score or, or something that reminds people of ancient Greece? Actually, there isn't much known exactly about how ancient Greek music uh, sounds like. There is, uh, there is some information, though, and uh, at no point I was going to do um, 
purely authentic score, but I think there are many elements from ancient Greek music in, in the soundtrack. There is certain instruments like the avlos, In English, it's some sort of flute that comes from ancient Greece, and you can see this. We know about this exactly from ancient uh, pottery. We can see in the images there's all these uh, uh, musicians playing this instrument, as well as the lyra, which is a, a type of harp. So these two instruments, as well as percussion, uh, we see, uh, we know about them, that they existed in ancient Greece because we see all these images of musicians playing them. So, of course, I couldn't find the original instruments to, or replicas for this, but I chose sounds that were close enough to me, to my imagination, that, that this, these instruments will sound like. I chose a harp, uh, I had a flute, uh, to be honest, it's a duduk. It's this instrument that also has influences from the Middle East. This, this is all around the score, this instrument. And a lot of percussion, it's just that the percussion is exaggerated. Uh, it's not a small percussion ensemble. I just chose massive libraries with, with big percussion sounds. <laughs> And you had a singer, too. Yes. I have various synthesizers that replicate singers. Uh, I have a, a big collection of libraries that, wow. that replicate the, the human voice. And if you know how to play the instrument um, accordingly, it sounds quite realistic. That's the first time I've ever been fooled by a, a, a synthesizer replicating a human. That's the first time that's ever happened to me. But there was also, so you weren't completely fooled, there was also one live singer as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so it was a combination of synthesizers and uh, a real singer. Wow. Uh, her name is Sana, um, yes, Sana Bell. Her name is uh, Sana Bell. She's from Spain. enjoy about writing for games? I enjoy two things. One is that it allows you to write music that's for, for themes that you wouldn't write um, in theater or in the cinema. Like you can write about epic big battles and sci science fiction, futuristic planets, and it has all these themes that you just don't encounter so easily unless you're scoring for a Hollywood film or something. Sure. But what I find most interesting is that if you score a film, it's very scripted to the last note, that you know that there's, there's a cut here, so this melody has to last exactly two seconds, and then this has to happen. And it just doesn't allow you the same amount of freedom that a video game has. In video games, you have to capture... Well, of course, it, it changes depending on the genre, but you have to capture the, the emotion and the mood of the scene. But apart from that, you're completely free to write the music how you want it to, to be, you know, you, how you want it to sound. And you're actually 
studying video game music, right? I mean, you've you've given talks on something called ludomusicology, right? Yes, yes, I have. Will uh, you explain what that is? Yes, it's the academic study of the field of video games focusing on music and sound. And there is, there is a conference, ludomusicology, that happens every year. I presented a Pothion there two years ago, and I see that this year... Karen Collins, which is uh, one of the biggest academics in this field, is uh, presenting the keynote speech there. But also, I presented three times, uh, this year is my third time, at the NYU um, Steinhardt Music and the Moving Image Conference, which is basically not only about video games, but they have, they have started to have uh, quite a lot of papers on video game music as well. Do you think this is because people who are at that age grew up with games? Yes, uh, and also it's it's strange that you have such a big industry and you haven't had any official or any scientific studies of the music and the sound of an industry that's almost bigger than films nowadays. of your background a bit or a bit more because you are quite a well-educated human being and I want to find out how that happened for you. How did you f- become a musician? What was your instrument? What was that journey like for you? I remember my parents, they actually bought me a little synthesizer when I was quite young and I was experimenting with different sounds. I think it had like a typical MIDI synthesizer. It had like 127 general MIDI sounds, but I thought it was so cool where you could create this brass sound and or you could have this like haunting, I think it was called like a rain sound. Uh, and I, I thought it was very interesting to write music that evokes different moods. Um, but I, I, I was then, I, I shifted completely. I played electric guitar for some time and I played in bands. and. It was only until I was um, in university, I was studying music, that I realized I want to do film music, like I want to compose for films. And that, that has been my, my biggest passion. And since then, I've, to be honest, I've, uh, I've traveled, I've lived in London for six years, I've lived in Barcelona, and now I'm in New York, just pursuing this dream. And I have scored from, like, theatrical plays to films, documentaries, and video games, um, and, and even dance pieces, like anything that I find uh, interesting uh, and interesting projects to work with. You studied ethnomusicology, though, too, so it's not just that you've traveled, but you've studied the musics of other cultures. Yes, yes, that was very interesting. I went to a School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, uh, in London. They have a, a wonderful master's program uh, in ethnomusicology. I began with uh, the music of Africa, um, southeastern Africa, and then Indonesia and gamelan music, which I thought was fascinating. And my goal was to learn more about other musical cultures apart from typical Western classical tradition. So I was interested in incorporating parts of this in my music as well. I thought it would make my musical vocabulary richer. And I did learn quite a lot about it. Uh, I think it's a, a fascinating field to study 
traditional music of, of different cultures. Are you working on a PhD now? I'm focusing on algorithmic composition because I think that it could be an area that has a lot of potential for video games, like the idea of generative music and procedural scores. Yes, and let's be more specific about that because it does have several names. You just called it algorithmic music. I've always referred to it as generative music, but some people also refer to it as procedural music. Will you describe what that means? Well... All of these terms, they, they perhaps mean something slightly different. People define them differently, but I assume most people, when they use one of these terms, they refer to music that's not linear, that's not just recorded music that starts in, in one place and finishes in another, but rather music that is generated by a procedure or an algorithm. So it follows a set of rules in its creation. Um, in most cases, like in, in nowadays, this is realized by a computer. But before, you could also have musicians follow these instructions. And, and the idea behind it uh, was so the, the composer would like, give up a part of controlling the music and he will let this to the decision of the musicians or to chance, something also known as aleatory music. That's interesting. I've, I've honestly, I've never heard it compared to aleatoric music, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's exactly what aleatoric music is. Yeah, Mozart had this famous composition with the uh, dices uh, and other composers uh, of that century that they would throw some dices and the dices will, will determine the order of the music that's going to be played. Um, let's imagine this is a, a dissolute um, sort of beer killer in Vienna. And it's perhaps Dusmar and Da Ponte <laughs> playing dice. And being very constructive, they're not just playing for money, they're playing in order to compose by a special method. Okay, now we'll start. So I'm throwing my C major dice now, yes. And immediately I come up with a seven. So we look in the first column of this patent system, and that gives us number 152 which is this amazing bit of melody. And now I'll throw the dice. And I thought we'd, I'd do the contradicts. I, I thought about well, this will be really useful for video games as well. And actually Apotheon, the whole opening level, is generated. It's, it's made out of this technique that I was this is how I started my PhD, actually. I was working on Apotheon and I thought that this could apply. Uh, this would be an interesting research project. So the whole opening level is generated. I've composed these short fragments and then uh, I've assigned random probabilities. So every time you play that level, the music is... It sounds similar, but it's always different. Like the structure of it changes every time. And so working on that project is what what uh, motivated you or inspired you, I should say, to go to study more. 
Yeah, well, I, I they kind of went hand in hand. Uh, they I, I have started researching video game music because I wanted to do uh, a PhD, but then I started working on Apotheon, and I thought, hmm, let's let's try and do a generative score for this. And it worked great at the beginning of the of the game. It was just impossible to carry this on for the whole game, um, mainly because of the time that needs to be put into this and uh, the time of programming that you need also to do. So many developers, like I've asked many composers, why do you think generative music hasn't, hasn't caught up with video games? And I think it's also the amount of time that... The, the developers, they have to spend extra money to hire programmers to program all these ideas and they don't even know if it's going to work or not. So they're more hesitant in doing something like this. I also saw you had Jesper Kidd, which I think is one of the best composers in video games. Oh, he is the real deal. Yeah, he? yeah, he's great. I saw his, um, I went to London Music Connect where he spoke. Yes. And somebody asked him about generative music and... I really liked his answer, like I'm going to quote it quite a lot. He said that um, he thinks it's great, but he doesn't think that uh, an algorithm can have a troubled childhood. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> yes, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting point. It's an interesting it is an point. interesting point. It's all fascinating. I mean, it brings up the same questions that they struggled with, with uh, aleatoric music. I mean, there's there's always going to be a debate, but it's... It's a great debate to have, and, and there's a place for all of it, in my opinion. Yeah, so. exactly. Nobody's saying that uh, that algorithms should replace composers. Like, right. It's just, the, first of all, algorithms are made by composers. Exactly. And, and it, it, I think it's suitable, like I'm looking like through my research, that it will be suitable for certain types of, of gameplay. It won't, it won't be for everything. You won't write the main theme with an algorithm. Right, but right. You, you could use it as a level music or ambient music or many other in many other uh, scenarios. bother you to be asked to write Greek music since you're from Greece? Uh, or do you enjoy it? I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Um, I, like I, it wouldn't, if I would only do this, then at some point I think I would get bored if I would be known as the mm-hmm. composer who only does ancient Greek scores. Uh, and I'm actually doing another play now that it's an ancient Greek myth. So I, I do this quite a lot, but I, I really enjoy it. It's just that I'm also interested in doing other kinds of projects. Like I want to do like a science fiction video game, for example. I want to use some electronic scores as well. Uh, I think it's interesting to explore different um, musical palettes like, and have from analog synthesizers to like a big orchestra. I don't want to be limited only to one thing. A lot of people have asked me, uh, especially with in Greek newspapers that I gave interviews uh, about how I feel that you know a game like this is not historically correct or myth- the mythology of it is not uh, correct. 
But I feel that these, these types of games, the same thing as movies like 300, they're not supposed to be uh, historically accurate, but I still think they advertise Greece and they advertise our mythology. So I think it's great that they're out there and like, uh, I wish there were more. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. It was great. Thank you for listening to Top Score from Infinite Guest. You can learn more about composer Marios Aristopoulos and see a full playlist from the episode at infiniteguest.org. Top Score's production assistants are Pierce Huxtable and Nina Paddock. Mark Hintz mixes each episode. Top Score is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, Artworks. Follow Top Score on Twitter and Facebook at Top Score Podcast. That's Top Score. I'm Emily Reese. 